More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Tuesday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. We are rolling with you. Lots of fun and a ton of different topics to dive into. Gavin Newsom, our friend, we're going to start off with this. Uh, Another big sit-down interview. It's amazing how many of those he has time to do. Uh, Talking about Kamala Harris. Uh, NBC on COVID, our good friend Mark Cuban with an intriguing position on COVID that Buck texted me about this morning. We will discuss that. Donald Trump, by the way, news-wise, has announced that he is going to skip the second Republican debate, which is taking place September 27th at the Reagan Library. What do we think about that? Probably not a huge surprise that he is making that choice. DeSantis and Trump, um, an interesting little interchange as they have gone back and forth. This came out of the Meet the Press interview that Trump did with uh, Kristen Welker, the new host there, where he ripped uh, Ron DeSantis and the six-week abortion uh, ban, uh, the, the limitations that now exist in the state of Florida. Uh, that is a bit intriguing, if only because Trump is actually to the left of DeSantis on that issue and several others. Um, and we'll probably dive into that as well. But I wanted to start with this, Buck. Um, I did an interview with Adam Carolla. Uh, he's been on the show several times. Adam Carolla, formerly of The Man Show, really funny comedian. Um, I know a lot of you guys out there are, uh, are fans of Adam Carolla. And we talked about Gavin Newsom, Buck. And Adam Carolla had a great analogy. He said, Gavin Newsom's like a guy who's got a really bad Mexican restaurant, and he's decided that he wants to franchise it. That's what he basically said uh, of Gavin Newsom's tenure as the governor of California, that he hasn't done a very good job. People in California are mostly unhappy, but he's decided that he wants to take his California brand national. And for a guy who has expressed that he has no interest, supposedly, in being president of the United States, he sure does seem to be doing a lot of national interviews. And he did another one with CNN and I wanted, by the way, Joe Biden also spoke at the UN. 
I went through and watched a lot of these clips and there, he said nothing of any substance, uh, or interest, at least, uh, to me. I don't know if you felt differently, Buck, but it's like for, to go speak at the UN and talk for 25 minutes and basically not be capable of, of, of saying anything that I thought was particularly profound or illuminating or even frankly interesting, uh, I, I thought was, uh, was very strange. Uh, but Gavin Newsom, uh, I wanted to play this because everybody's now getting asked about Kamala Harris. Says he's absolute, she is absolutely the best choice for Biden's running mate. Of course she is. Uh, listen to cut nine here. Nancy Pelosi, she heaped praise on Kamala Harris, but she declined to say whether or not she thought that the vice president is the best person to be on the ticket with Joe Biden in 2024. Do you? Of course she is. Biden-Harris administration, masterclass in terms of performance, bipartisan deals on infrastructure, bipartisan deals on guns and debt ceiling, on the chips and science. She's the best choice. I mean, by definition, if I think this administration the last two and a half years has been one of the most outstanding administrations in the last few decades, and she's a member of that administration, she gets to lay and claim credit to a lot of that success. The answer is absolutely. Okay, Buck, what, that is, like, there's no way that he believes anything that he just said. Are we missing some sort of 4D chess? What's going on here? He knows that he's able to say it in a way that almost drips with disdain, but that the words are perfect so far as nobody could look back at the transcript and say that he was undermining this White House, right? I mean, he's... He's singing the required tune here, but he's not doing it with any enthusiasm. He's doing what he thinks he has to do right now to stay in the good graces of the party machinery because they still have not made, although I've seen there, there are across the, you know, web right now, you'll see different pieces where people are raising the anxiety over Biden's age and, but they're all saying it's almost too late. It's almost too late. I haven't seen enough of the momentum to bring about a, a switch or to even get serious about any kind of a, of a last minute switch situation. So I think Gavin is reading the room with that as well here. Um, and, and everybody recognizes that he's going to run, I'm sure, a, in the next one. Um, remember part of what we've talked about here is how important the vice presidential pick is for Trump or for Biden, assuming that Trump is the nominee. And I guess we have to say assuming Biden is the nominee too, although he is the president. That would be quite a, quite a, um, a, a change up, uh, quite a surprise. But Clay, the other part of it is that you're going to have the general election campaign for 2028 effectively kick off two years into the presidency of whoever ends up winning. Yeah. So it's not like you have to wait eight years. If, if, if you get a Democrat victory here, Gavin Newsom's not waiting on the sidelines for eight years. He's waiting on the sidelines for two at, at, you know, that's, that's assuming nothing crazy happens the next few months. So, you know, he, look, he's very, he's very slick. We joke around about it. He gets a lot of media attention. He understands that. I still don't know. I haven't really seen, uh, excellent numbers. I still don't think that he would play very well in the battleground states and at the national level, our presidential elections are determined by a handful of states right now. Yeah. There's a lot of states that aren't in play. There are a handful that are. And winning is just a question of winning in those places, right? Winning in California for a Democrat is irrelevant. Losing for a, a, uh, Democrat in, you know, Wyoming is irrelevant. Although Wyoming doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have a lot of electoral college votes, period. Anyway, but you get what I'm saying. I think it's, isn't that the most, is the most red state Wyoming by 
by voting. I think it's Wyoming. It might be. It was uh, Wyoming, and 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 honestly, this is why Joe Manchin is in such trouble. I think West Virginia. I think Trump won West Virginia by the biggest margin. I think it was thirty nine points. I feel like it was West Virginia one, Wyoming two. If somebody on the staff wants to look that up in the twenty twenty election, um, and uh, and that's why. Joe Manchin is is trying to decide. Am I right? Is it Wyoming? Is it West Virginia one, Wyoming two? Um, well, we'll have the staff check that. We'll but have the staff it, pull it. It's it's yeah. close. It's it's a neck and neck race between those two. So yeah. here's the problem with what you just said, Buck. And 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 I don't disagree. If Gavin Newsom is on record, which he just said on CNN, hey, it's the Biden Harris administration. They've done an incredible job. How do you justify, yes, of course she should be on the ticket. Of course she should be the vice president. If you believe that to be true now, how does that not get played in the event that uh, Biden wins? Like, I just, Harris has to be the nominee if Biden wins back-to-back elections and she is the VP for eight years. And frankly, I think that, and I hate to say this, I think that at some point, if Biden wins election in 24, if he's on the ticket, like we said, then she's going to end up president of the United States because I think he's going to be physically debilitated to such an extent that he is not going to be able to finish his term. And again, we talked about this last week. Just to put it in context, people say, oh, you shouldn't be talking about his age. Some people make that argument on the Democrat side. Half of every person, half of the people that were born on the day that Joe Biden was born are already dead in America. So the idea that he at 82 next year, I think he's going to turn 81 in, uh, in November. That he would be 86 years old and be 100% able to be president of the United States is, I think, crazy. So she's going to end up, in my opinion, president of the United States if Biden were to win an election in 2024. But even if she didn't, let's pretend that somehow Biden serves out his whole term uh, and manages to, to be president until 2029 when you know they're swearing in a new president. I don't see any way that Kamala Harris is not the nominee by almost popular acclamation if people like uh Gavin Newsom are now saying this. I I understand your argument if he's trying to stay in good graces, but if his goal is to be president of the United States, and if it isn't, I don't understand why he cares about doing all these national interviews, right? Most governors aren't doing regular sit-down interviews nationwide. He's clearly interested in being president of the United States. I don't see the political calculus here. It doesn't add up for me what he he, he can't be seen, Clay. He can't be seen to undermine or push aside Kamala now or in the future. What he's doing is presenting it as though he is totally a, he's a company man. He's a party line guy. He supports the administration. But I mean, if at some point in the future, the, the Democrat party faithful decide that it just must be Gavin Newsom, he, he will humbly and gratefully accept the shove aside of Kamala Harris as the heir apparent to the Democrat Party. Okay, That's how so, he's positioning this. Okay, I understand that. But that would suggest that he thinks there may be at the Democrat convention some sort of brokered selection of a nominee. Because if he is going to run for president at some point, barring a crazy brokered convention situation next year where Biden steps down, they have to pick a nominee, then he's going to have to enter the race at some point. Now yeah, he may but, say, but people are demanding that I run and like, but yes, it's, it's not, he'll it's change not his tune. If he's, yeah. if he's going to run, first of all, I don't think he's running now or rather he's not going to run in the next year. I believe we'll see. I could be wrong, but at this point, if anyone wanted to place a bet with me on that one, I think, uh, 
I'd have to give them some pretty strong odds. Um, if he's going to run in, uh, whatever, 28, no one's going to remember what he says now about Kamala Harris. And okay. if he has to... I just think it gets harder to step over her if Biden wins. Now, Biden, here's the question. No, he, he, cre- he creates nothing but downside for himself. If he's seen to undermine right now, he creates downside in California. He creates downside with the Democrat base. He creates downside with voters that he's going to need down the line. This is... No, do you think Gavin Newsom is rooting for Donald Trump to beat Joe Biden? Do I think Gavin Newsom is rooting for Donald Trump to beat Joe Biden? I think um, he is. Because me, that me, helps him politically. Think about it as we go to break here in a little bit. Think about how that would help. Here's my argument I mean, he, for why he would, would say, help of course, absolutely not. Are you asking course, me, is he narcissistic in, and self-obsessed enough that he would want a Trump presidency, even though he thinks Trump is Hitler or whatever, because it means that... Yeah, I think, I, Clay, I think that a lot of these people at this level of power politically, I think there's something like a little I think, off, a little wrong I with think them. Gavin Newsom is a hundred percent rooting for Donald Trump to beat Joe Biden <laughs> because that buck is how Kamala Harris gets swept off the stage. Her political viability right now is attached to Joe Biden. If she's able to serve as vice president for eight years, even if he doesn't step down and allow her to be president at some point, she is the presumptive front runner. If they got beat, if they got beat by Donald Trump or any other Republican candidate, Kamala Harris is out right. with the wash. But, She's but this done. is why he has to be loyal sounding now, even though no one thinks his heart well, is. Well, I'm it. wondering if the 4D chess is if he's thinking that Biden's going to lose. And so then he says, look, I thought they did a good job, but the American voters, boy, they, they didn't agree. I mean, and that's this- a failure of messaging. And that's why I've got to run now. There's a precedent here, though. Well, now you get into whether Biden, and we're getting way out into the future, so we should kind of bring it back to the moment. But there's a precedent where Biden was pre- was vice president for eight years, and party just pushed him aside. So that has happened. That has happened. It's not like it would necessarily be uh, Kamala Harris's. But if she took over while Biden was president, and therefore she was actually president, then things become a little trickier. But I mean, look, RFK Jr., we were talking about him, Clay, on the show. RFK Jr. made some noise for about three months, and now the guy can't, you know, a guy can't get five minutes on the Democrat radar anywhere. No one's doing any hits. They're very disciplined, this communist Democrat media. Yeah, I think, uh, the the more I think about it, one billion percent Gavin Newsom is rooting with every fiber of his being for Donald Trump or any other Republican. I think it through too. I think he, I think he, I mean, I think he would. That's the swear, stair step to his power. He, he would swear on the lives of his ancestors or whatever that yes. that wasn't true, but I yes. think it probably is true. Yeah, so, because that's the kind of guy he is. Well, you look, next time you guys are having a Chablis, I'm going to ask him his, about it. Yeah. You know, t- talk to him about it. Also ask him. The guy's, guy's got strong you think, hair. You game. think Gavin Newsom's more of a white wine or red wine guy? He's a white wine guy. You think? He's going to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what companies look, what that says about it, but I love that you have an opinion. You know, companies look it out for you when they upgrade your service and don't charge for it. Pure Talk did just that for both new and current customers. They increased the data on their plans 50%, including a mobile hotspot with each one, with no price increase whatsoever. It's still just $20 a month for unlimited talk, text, and now 50% more 5G data plus mobile hotspot. Most families are saving almost $1,000 a year while enjoying the most dependable 5G network in America. Another bonus is you'll be supporting a veteran-owned company that only hires in the U.S., keeping its customer service team right here at home. Great values, great service. Pure Talk is the way to go. 
Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, and make the switch to Pure Talk. You'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, and make the switch to Pure Talk today. Make an appointment with the truth. Tune in every day to the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. By the way, 800-282-2882 if you want to weigh in and react to any of the conversations that we are having throughout the course of today's program. No guests, so uh, if callers want to be involved, we have got space. I wanted to clean this up because we talked about it in the uh, opening segment. I went back uh, during the commercial break and looked and, and confirmed it. So, Buck, you are right that Wyoming was the state that supported Trump the most in 2020. I'm just going to have the team clip that, and that's going to be my new ringtone. Clay telling me that I'm right every day, all day. I want to hear it. Go ahead, sir. Well, I, yeah, well yes, because you're now married, so you probably don't hear that very often. I do not hear it as yes. often as I used to. Yeah, in your head, you used to hear it a lot more. You get married. Uh, I don't think I've been right in 20 years. Um, so uh, Wyoming, 69 point, this is crazy, 69.9% of Wyoming voters supported Donald Trump, 26.6% for Joe Biden. That was the biggest margin in the country in the 2020 election. But West Virginia was not very far behind. 
60, it was number two. So Wyoming number one, Trump number uh, for Trump supporting in 2020. Wyoming uh, uh, was number one. West Virginia was number two. 68.6% of West Virginians voted for Trump. Just 29.7% voted for Biden. And that buck is actually a big storyline going into 2024 because Joe Manchin, I believe, has said that he will officially announce in January what his decision is going to be. Jim Justice has opened up a big lead, and he's the current governor of West Virginia. That is one that I believe there is no way that a Democrat can continue to represent West Virginia. So I think Joe Manchin is slowly coming to the conclusion that he is done there. Um, And there are three states that Trump won comfortably in 2020 that have Republican that have Democrat senators right now. Uh, West Virginia, where I think we are going to get a Republican in there, uh, in Ohio and in Montana, those are three big Trump winning states that have right now Democrat senators, and all three of those have to be on the chopping block in a big way. If you have a uh Democrat-controlled Senate and a Republican-controlled House and a Trump victory in 2024. Let's just throw that out there for a second because I don't think there's enough conversation on the right. I don't think the conservative base is getting... Well, I understand it's a little early. We're just entering the process now, but you're going to have to have certainly Republican, uh, a Republican-controlled House and Senate for a Trump presidency to even think about getting any major legislation through. And I know a lot of people have it in, in their minds, perhaps, well, Trump will wield the executive veto, or not veto pen, but the executive pen uh, for executive orders in order to accomplish a lot of things. The truth is, we already saw this, and what happens is they have universal injunctions that come down from any federal judge anywhere in the country to stop. Now, you could say, well, it'll make its way to the Supreme Court, and maybe he'll prevail there. Point being, folks, if we're going to get a lot done, if Trump is going to get a lot done, if he is if he is the candidate and if he wins for him to get a lot done, you can't have Democrats in control of the Senate again, which is a big piece of this. The Senate races are we're going to dial into these more as we get closer. But those are absolutely critical. That's a part of this that I think doesn't really hasn't really factored into the conversation very much yet. Yeah. And look. The reason why we have the disastrous economic situation that we do on inflation is because Joe Biden had, for a very limited time, a tiny control of the Senate and the House, and he exerted as much possible authority as he could in the first two years of his presidency. And so regardless of what happens in the presidential election in 2024, we have got to have Republican control of the Senate because the House is going to be on tenterhooks one way or the other. The margin is going to be tiny one way or the other. And you have, there should be, there should have been Senate control won back by Republicans in 2022. We tripped all over ourselves in uh, Georgia. We tripped all over ourselves in Arizona. We tripped all over ourselves in Pennsylvania, right? The three states that you could point to and say those were winnable races absolutely have to win West Virginia. I think that one's in the bag. That would make it 50-50. And then need to win at least one of the two in uh, in Ohio or Montana. Need to win all three of those races, really, because those are red states that should have red uh, senators. 
And then you could at least, regardless of how close this presidential election ends up being in 2024, you could at least know that the power was going to be checked and worst case scenario, we would have divided government. I'm actually right now, Buck, more optimistic about Senate control than I am House control because I just think the House is going to be so tight. The, the battlefield, as it were, the landscape actually favors Republicans more in the Senate than I think it does in the House. Uh, I, I certainly hope that's the way it plays out. Um, did you mention uh, Arizona, by the way, in that? I was just uh, looking I at... have not yet. I mean, Arizona, yeah. obviously, it looks that's... like Kerry Lake. There's going to be a three-way battle there. We expect Cinema to run as an independent against right. Gallego. Like, that's so that's going to be, gonna a mess be too. both messy and very important in this process yes. as well. You'll have an important race in Arizona. Um, already, I've seen, it's almost hard to believe, but this is what they're they're, they're looking to do. Uh, I'm looking at sort of the enemy playbook here at CNN. They think that uh, Ted Cruz, they're going to go after Ted Cruz in Texas. You know who's going to do it? They're thinking they want they want Beto O'Rourke perhaps Again? to come back. I'm no. like I'm like, is that guy ever going to go away? No, I don't even Ted know how Cruz, Ted Cruz is going to win in 24 in Texas. All right, like there there will be a lot of drama. There will be a lot of focus on it. Oh no, he'll win. But it's just funny that they they. Ted Cruz is their white whale, man. Yeah. They, they want to take, they, <laughs> if they could get one Senate. Also, the the whole Texas phenomenon, they think yeah. that if they can go into the the largest solid red state, they'll be in a position. But anyway, that's I, I think that Ted will be fine. You mentioned Montana. That's important. West Virginia, that's very important. Uh, look, it's basically, it tracks with most of the important battleground states, period. The Senate races that are going to matter are going to be in states that the presidential candidates are going to be really uh, duking it out in, you know, Wisconsin, Nevada. Um, uh, let me see. Well, yeah, Wisconsin, Michigan's going to Michigan's going to have Michigan's a battleground because they, they're not going to have an incumbent. But oh, Pennsylvania, focus, too, isn't isn't Casey in Pennsylvania? Casey is going to be running against uh, McCormick, who nearly yep. beat Oz in the primary. It seems like Pennsylvania is kind of clearing the deck for McCormick. I'm sure we'll have him on at some point. There are a lot of battleground state, states, right? But when I look at it and say, okay, we're down 51-49 right now in the Senate. The three the three that should, West Virginia should happen, right? So I think West Virginia, I think Democrats are basically going to throw in the towel there. We're going to be 50-50, okay? Then, at a minimum, you need to win Wyoming or Ohio. Uh, Trump won Ohio by eight points. He won uh, Montana by like 12 or something like that, I think. Those are states that were big red winners, assuming, again, we're presuming looking out at the landscape right now, if Trump is on the ballot, he would perform well in West Virginia, he would perform well in Ohio, he would perform well in Montana. We have ample evidence of that from the last two presidential cycles. So there should be some tail, uh, you know, some tailwinds, some uh, some coattails to elevate uh, whoever those candidates are and at a minimum take back the Senate. Because as much of a battle as the presidency is going to be, what I want to know, Buck, is when I go to bed on uh, election night next year in about 14 months, I want to at least know worst-case scenario divided government. Because we can't have what happened with the first two years of Biden where he comes in and, look, Buck, as bad as inflation is, no one talks about this. It could have been so much he worse. He tried they to spend tried to five trillion. Yeah. We would have been sitting at thirteen or fourteen percent inflation. And the only reason that didn't happen is because Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema said, No, we're not gonna go for this. 
But that's how close, how fine the line was between the blowout. And you just mentioned, we're sitting at $33 trillion in debt. We'd be like $37 or $38 trillion in debt if the Democrats had gotten to spend money like they wanted to. So at a minimum, we have to have a check out there on this. But that is where the landscape looks as we sit 14 months out. My hope is, by the way, that Joe Manchin actually runs a third-party candidate. Because that's the one aspect that nobody's spending a lot of time on, I would say, kind of projecting in 2024. We know Cornell West, right, is going to be the Green Party candidate. And I do think that as a black guy running on the far left, he may peel off some support, just like Jill Stein did for Hillary Clinton in 2016. We know you idiots out there who vote libertarian are going to show up and still vote libertarian in in challenge states. Um, And so that's going to be an issue. But if we could get somebody like Joe Manchin on the ballot, I think that that would hurt Biden the most and make a Trump victory or whoever the Republican nominee is more likely. All right, second hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now. Thanks for being here with us, everybody. A couple things to put on your radar. Uh, First off, national debt today topping $33 trillion. Sounds like a lot of money to me. Uh, this is a problem, folks. It's a problem that our political system is unwilling, certainly, to fix in any meaningful way. I know there's discussions about a, a continuing resolution right now for the budget and a government shutdown and all that. Uh, we've been through this too many times. The government will not be shut down. They will extend the funding. And uh, people, you can't even get anyone's attention focused on this for more than a few minutes because everyone, I think, recognizes that reality. We got the House holding the first impeachment inquiry next Thursday. We'll discuss, or we've discussed that a little bit. We'll get back into it later. Plus, Trump will be skipping the debate next week and instead is going to hold a rally with auto workers in Detroit. As you know, there are strikes right now. The auto industry, the unions trying to negotiate, uh, the usual stuff, better wages and, and benefits. A lot of it revolving also around the electric car industry and, and how that will be uh, competitive or whether it will be competitive in the future. So Trump going to do that. Clay, we can talk about the decision to skip the debate in a, in a few. First off, though, I, I wanted to let everyone hear this because I think this is an issue that the more people understand, the more they will be uh, furious at the Biden administration for what is a, a clear dereliction of duty. We are told on so many ways in this country that you have to obey the law. The law is the law, even though laws uh, can be so complicated at the federal level that you'll have different attorneys have different interpretations of them. And this has been a problem for a long time. We have an enormously complicated legal system on many issues. On immigration, we have a legal system that is complicated by the fact that the federal government decides that the laws no longer count. Immigration law doesn't really matter. I know they'll say, oh, but what about this? And they'll point to all these things. At the end of the day, you have millions and millions of people who are in the country without legal permission to be here. You have millions more who have entered. The number right now, Clay, it's got to be something uh, over 6 million, I think, is a good estimate in three years of Biden. Yeah. We're talking about we're talking about 3 million. I'm sorry, uh, 2 million a year over three years on average. Not going to get any better. In fact, the numbers look like they're getting as bad in terms of illegal crossings as they've ever been. Here is Bill Malugin over at Fox News, Clay, announcing over just the last few days how many encounters, meaning people being detained at the border because they've entered illegally, did they see? Play This is from Customs and Border Patrol. Play it. 
We are getting some new staggering numbers from our CBP contacts telling us that between Friday and Monday, there were over 35,000 migrant encounters at our southern border. You do the math on that, that's almost 9,000 every single day. Astronomical numbers approaching record highs. Clay, approaching record highs. 35,000 people. I mean, a, a pretty good-sized you know, sports arena full of people who are all entering the country illegally. They're not going through the ports of entry. They're not going through the normal process. Uh, a lot of them will end up in major cities like New York. We see what that does to New York City. Um, the Biden administration, I think people have to recognize, this is an active decision that they've made to allow this scam of asylum-seeking to continue and by the time that people will be able to cast judgment in next, uh, next November on this process, if they know about it, we're probably going to have 8 million people who have entered the United States illegally in one presidential term. Yeah. There was, and I don't know if you saw it Sunday in the New York Times, Buck, I think it was a front page article about the Darien Gap, um, which is now become one of the primary conduits to get to the United States from all of Latin America. And for people out there who don't really understand what this thing is, um, for a long time the idea was you couldn't walk, let's say, from Venezuela and obviously take boats and, and cars and everything else because this Darien Gap region was considered to be so inhospitable that basically you would never be able to get through this jungle area because, and this is from between uh, Colombia and Panama for people out there, that, and I'm not a geographic wonder uh, star by by any stretch of the imagination, but if you picture uh, this area, and Buck, the article all about it, so the Darien Gap was this supposedly almost impossible true traverse area uh, between Colombia and Panama, where people could then continue their walk the rest of the way. On the Colombia side of the Darien Gap now, they have built an entire industry that basically is... I would encourage people to go read this article about what's going on there, but they will give you... They basically have taken over... Columbia, uh, sort of, uh, they're not military, but it, but it's, it, it's like a gang basically. And they provide security, but you have to pay a fee to traverse the Darien Gap. And they'll, there are different ways you can go. Like you can hire a porter. You can hire boats. You can get somebody who will set up tents. They sell food along the way. It's a massive industry that they have created and it is filled with hundreds of thousands of people now that are constantly walking through en route to our southern border. When I think about this um, and, and what, what the incentives are for people, let's say just, and there are illegals coming in from all over the world, 160-plus countries represented. Um, but if you look at this, you're, let's say, a migrant, you know, one of the, uh, one of the countries where we've had a, a fair number of, of migrants come in would be Venezuela, right? If, uh, and now there's different, some countries are under a special, you know, there's a, uh, a dispensation because of either a natural disaster. I think that was in Central America, a few countries for a while. I mean, there, there's specifics for each, each nation, but let's just generally speaking, if you're from a South American country, doesn't matter which one, 
you can try to, and you have no tie into America, no family here already, you can try to go through the legal immigration process, and it will take you years, and you may be unsuccessful. Or you can do what you're talking about, yeah. where you just get into America. Yeah. And under the Biden administration, there is no notion of punishment or there's nothing punitive about entering the country illegally now. You will not be detained. You will not be told that, you know, you've broken the law, really, not in any meaningful way. And, in fact, you'll be transported somewhere, given free food, free health care, and then you'll have politicians in America demanding you be given work permits so then you can compete with particularly those at the lower end of the wage scale in this country, even though you're in the country illegally. It is appalling what is going on. It is contrary. We're always told all the statutes and the law, and you have to pay such attention to the law when it comes to, like, taxes, for example. On immigration, this stuff is being abused left and right all the time. There, There's constant uh, intentional malfeasance, and you brought up the, the system that people have set up to get here. It's big business for the cartels now. Yep. Some are even saying if you add it all up, it gets to be close to even more than what they make selling fentanyl, right? And, and you know, fentanyl, but obviously. It, they, they say that cartel uh, traversing of the border, to put it in context, is a bigger business yes. than any pro sport. There is more revenue being produced. This is not talking about drugs. On the illegal crossing of the border, the cartels make more money than the NFL teams do combined. Like, I mean, think you're about, about as big as you know NFL football is, the cartel business to get people illegally into the country is a bigger business than the NFL is. And, and over the weekend, there were videos circulating online, different news uh, sites picking them up. Um, you know, Fox News had this, Daily Mail had this, of freight trains coming up from Mexico, and they are absolutely, uh, you know, overflowing with single adult males, I should note, not with families in these videos, single adult males who are on their way to the U.S.-Mexico border to come into the country illegally. So the visualization of a, think of, you know, some of you have probably been stuck at a railroad crossing and a freight train, you know, those freight trains can just, they're like a mile long and this thing just go forever. Imagine a freight train where in every single car there are, I mean, I'm looking at the photos right now, you know, you're talking about, you know, 20 people, 30 people in every car, and that's just one train. Yeah. And they're all just getting ready to get into the country, our country, illegally. The Biden administration is only working to make this easier and more comfortable for them. They're not trying to stop it. Yeah, and the other thing we should add on the incentive structure, jobs is one. If you come here and you have, because this article about the Darien Gap, there are women who are pregnant that decide they are going to do whatever it takes to get to the United States and have that baby. Your kid is then a citizen, and you will never be kicked out. So, again, incentive structures matter. And I want everybody out there to pretend that you are in Venezuela. You are a part of the broken socialist system of Maduro. There's probably a decent chance that you have family or friends who live in the United States now. Buck, they may not live now near you. South Florida has a huge Venezuelan population. A ton of Venezuelan migrants here, yeah. And if you knew that you had family living in the United States, this land of milk and honey, and all that it took was you getting to the southern border and getting into the United States, and that your child would then become a citizen of the United States... Wouldn't you do everything in your power to get here? I would. 
I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I were Venezuelan and I had friends and family living in the South Florida area, living anywhere, frankly, in the United States, and I was talking to them on the phone and they were saying, you know, I'm making 40x what I was making and my wife or girlfriend just had a baby and I've now got an American citizen son or daughter. This is a no-brainer, and this is why, Buck, yeah. I think there needs to be a serious conversation. We have to have this conversation. Birthright citizenship. Trump said he was going to end it in his first term. It he has said to he was going to end it in his first term. He says he will end it in his second term. He did not end it in his first term. Okay. But I hear hardly anybody talking about it. To me, with this debate coming up on September 27th, I think this is a situation. And again, a lot of people don't want to even think about this. The argument for birthright citizenship, I'm not talking about if you are a citizen and you're serving overseas in Korea or you're serving overseas in Germany. Your kids should certainly well, be of course. citizens, and, and, right? But that is what the law says. Subject right. to the jurisdiction thereof, meaning you are a U.S. subject abroad. You are yes. not somebody who is a foreigner who comes here This. And, the birthright, I want to, the birthright no, it doesn't exist hardly anywhere in the world. You no can't one go to yeah. Japan or China and have a baby there and then have dual citizenship because you're an American. They're also a Japanese. The the, the legacy of this, and I, I researched it and wrote about it a lot in my book, Buck, this is a colonialist legacy. The idea was back in the day, if you're gonna willing to go to Brazil and live in a colony or you're willing to come to the United States, your kids would be British subjects because that they didn't want to give up their ability to be connected to the homeland. That's why only two, I think, Ooh. of the G7, America and Canada, actually have by soil citizenship. If you're born there, you become a citizen. Right. Well, you can just think this through. If you're an American serving in, let's say, Germany, or you know, you're an American serviceman or something, your wife gets pregnant, you have yep. a kid there. Guess what? That kid, that kid's an American. Right? Correct. 100%. This is very yeah. straightforward. Otherwise, you're going to have a whole problem but with people. But that kid is not diplomats. Korean or that kid is not right. German, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so you, you apply that same logic to what happens in this country and you can see how the whole, co- the whole premise is, is wrong. I mean, the premise that you could have a foreign national not with the legal permission to be in the United States who gives birth here and then that person is, is defined as, as an American for the purposes of law. That's wrong. Um, and, and you know it's wrong, especially when you see, uh, the way that these, uh, birth hotels are set up in, yes. because they've actually prosecuted people for this in, in California specifically, and this with, uh, particularly Asian and chi- Chinese, uh, individuals will pay to come here, to have their baby here, to go back to China, and then 18 years later, their kid is a U.S. citizen and wants to go to Berkeley and wants to, you know, and, and, and is, a U.S. citizen for all intents and purposes, right? You're not, that's actually illegal. You're not allowed to yes. do that. There's a reason Correct. why that's illegal. Um, but the, uh, the system here, the more people that get piled into the system who are illegal, the greater the weight to just do exactly what the Democrats want, which is a mass amnesty, which will forever change the American electorate. Um, that's the plan. And people who say, oh, they won't have, they won't be, uh, they won't be given voting rights. Sure, sure. Sure they won't, right? I mean, this is like, uh, go back, even, you know, Reagan, uh, what was it, in 86, I think, Reagan went along with an amnesty. He did. And it was one of his big regrets, he would say later on in life, because the amnesty happened, but all the border security, that didn't happen. Yeah. 
So, and also, is, by the way, what we do know happened, Buck, is all these kids that are born here are citizens, and they'll be able to vote. So that's millions. Well, of course. Right? With, yeah, without even having one, to worry about the You've got one political party that says that your parents should be made citizens tomorrow, and another political party that's kind of sort of sometimes saying, hey, maybe we shouldn't reward this process of coming to the country illegally. I think we all know who, you know, they're, they're more likely to vote for. And, and that's the, that's the, uh, the way that these decisions are being made. Start earning high yield returns in a low yield market by investing in the Phoenix Capital Group's corporate bonds. You choose your investment amount, term limit, and earn returns from 9 to 13% annual interest with Phoenix Capital's domestic energy asset bonds. These bonds have been filed with the SEC and are also independently audited. Phoenix Capital buys energy royalties previously reserved for institutional investors, now accessible to you, the savvy investor. Phoenix Capital Group is disrupting the traditional energy industry through their proprietary offerings, yielding up to 13% annual interest. Learn more by downloading the Phoenix Group's free investment guide today at phxonair.com. For a private investor meeting, visit phxonair.com for an appointment with Matt Willer, Managing Director of Capital Markets. Investment in bonds have a certain amount of risk associated with it, and you should only invest if you can afford to bear the risk of loss. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Visit phxonair.com for more. The Truth Compass, pointing due right every day. The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand. On America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. All right, got a couple of things um want to hit, but we we asked Congressman Boebert to come on the show. She's got a great sense of humor. I think if she were going to do a media outlet, this would be the one that she should do to talk about what has turned into a huge fake faux rage incident, Buck. I used to use the term faux rage a lot, uh, where people just pretend to get outraged by something that they actually don't really care about very much. And the idea that you could be someone who was fine with Bill Clinton getting a blowjob from an intern, and you're like, hey, we've got to make sure that he stays in office, as many Democrats were, and then you could simultaneously come out and say, but this Lauren Boebert behavior during the Beetlejuice musical is completely unacceptable. And that is what a lot of them have argued. And we talked about it the other day with the Virginia uh, State House candidate who had the sex tape. Howard Stern, Buck, who used to put lesbians on the radio having sex live on air, came out and said that Lauren Boebert's behavior during the Beetlejuice musical was completely unacceptable. And I'm paraphrasing him here. And Lauren Boebert, I think, got caught by TMZ. The offer to come on this show stands out, but I was reading the transcript on this, and it's actually pretty funny. Here is Lauren Boebert Buck responding to the controversy surrounding her behavior. I can't believe this is a real story during a Beetlejuice musical performance. Listen. Ultimately, all future date nights have been canceled, and um, I learned to check party affiliations uh, before you go on a date. Uh, but all in all, um, you know, it was, uh, it was mostly a lovely time, and, you know, I've taken responsibility for my actions. Uh, I'd love to know how the, the musical ended. So is that is that date life, is that over with him because of... Some people say because he, he had a drag bar or his... his yeah, bar, no, nothing, dad, nothing think... to do with anything anybody recorded, but okay. honestly... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, first so, of all, I'm getting the sense that uh, the relationship or whatever it was is over, right? That's that's uh, the part of the news from this. She made a comment, check party affiliations before you go on a date. I guess the guy was a Democrat. So, you could argue that was her first mistake. I... So... First of all, that's a funny line. I wonder how the musical ended. Um, I give credit to her. I think she's got a pretty good sense of humor. Buck, Howard Stern is afraid to leave his apartment because of COVID. He stayed in his apartment for two-plus years. He basically wants lockdowns to return. And now he's outraged by behavior on a date and thinks that because of the outfit that Bobert was wearing and because of what happened on the date that she shouldn't be able to represent the state of Colorado. That's what he argued on his show. And we had some clips, but the clips are evidently not able to be aired on uh, regular radio. The, to me, Howard Stern is a great example of someone that used to be, I think he used to consider himself a Republican, whatever you no. think about that. Yes. Really? Yeah, no. I think he, I think he did. I was um, never, I was never a listener. I was a rush listener. I did not yes. make time for this Mr. Howard Stern fellow. I, I appreciated and thought many Howard Stern clips were funny over the years. I think he's a talented radio guy, 
But I think actually his trajectory is so interesting and evocative of what's happened to the left in this country. Because whatever you think of Howard Stern, he used to be a rebel. FCC was always after him. He was always in danger of losing uh, money, losing his show, violating the rules and, and promulgations associated with radio. He said he is, in the past, probably a Republican if you look at some of the issues that he cares about. I don't know yeah. what that really means. but sure. I think he talked about running as a Republican. I bet there's people who listen to us now that used to be Howard Stern listeners. I'm very confident of that because Stern's path, Buck, has been from I'm an outsider I am a idiosyncratic, interesting thinker who is not in the mainstream to becoming the most dogmatic enforcer of the people in positions of power. Wear a mask. Don't leave your house. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe what that girl is wearing? He's now everything that he used to hate. And this is, I think, Buck, really important for people out there listening. Republicans have. For the first time in my life, and I wrote about this a lot in my book, an opportunity to actually be the party that is pro-full flourishment of creativity. That the left has become so dogmatic in its enforcement of what's acceptable to say and do that just by being a party that likes jokes, just by being a party that is pro, hey, wear a sexy dress and go on a date if you want. That's how I think you go back and reclaim some of these voters that have been lost, particularly younger people, because they don't want to be the part. Young people on some level enjoy rebelling. And the idea that the left in this country has become the school marms, the people wagging their fingers and saying, oh, my goodness, you can't do this or you can't do that is something that I never would have believed would happen in my life. And I think Howard Stern is emblematic of that trajectory because he's become everything that he used to claim to hate. Look, all you have to know is if if somebody is as crazy about COVID as he is, you can't trust their judgment on anything anymore. I think that's true. They have become effectively, uh, you know, overtaken by an anxiety disorder. And that affects their ability to see the world, I think, very, very broadly, especially... When you start talking about policy and politics, um, look on the Lauren Boebert thing. The thing, the one thing that sticks out to me is they're trying to run now. They're trying to say that there's that that she's effectively committed a, a crime. I mean, Correct. I don't like to. This is something else that they'd like to do. And this, this, uh, you see this on the left. They're the same people. I will point this out. The same people who are writing, and, and these are, you know, I think up on the Drudge Report right now, which used to be, like, one of my favorite websites, and unfortunately it has gone gone over to, uh, it has abandoned the force and has joined the dark side. Um, but I think there's a, a, a story up there about how maybe Lauren Boebert, you know, broke a, broke a law Correct. or something. It's true. These, the same people who will go along with that and say something like that, and there's a whole lot of other cases or, you know, allegations against, you know, people that are, on the right or in some way out of favor with the left, those same voices will be the ones that are shouting at you for having any problem with grown men in fishnets and thongs dancing in front of little kids at drag queen story or not story hour, but in these drag queen brunches that they were doing for a while. So Lauren Boebert, you know, consenting adults, you know, she's getting a little hand. They're getting a little handsy. I don't believe anything was exposed. 
That, they're saying, may, might be a crime, but the same voices on the left that will try to say, oh, we should look at that as some kind of a violation of statute, maybe, are the same people that think that kids should be at these drag... You know what I mean? Like, there's... Yeah. They use these things as a weapon. There's no decency. There's no foundational ethics or morality that they draw upon for these distinctions. It's just they, the other team we will destroy, and our team we will defend. Yeah. And, you know, I think you see that to the point about Howard Stern and saying, you know, oh, this, well, I mean, he's kind of weird, but I don't know what his politics really are. But the people that are attacking Lauren Boebert for this, to your point, are the same people who are fine with the uh, Virginia state rep, you know, yes. running. And, and by people. the way, Buck, 25 years ago, 20 years ago even, if Howard Stern saw a picture of Lauren Boebert in that dress, he would have said, my goodness, this is the best-looking congresswoman on the planet. Why isn't she in the Senate? Why isn't she running for president? He would have talked about how good-looking she was as evidence of why he cared about her, right? Now, yeah. the dress that she's wearing is so unacceptable that she shouldn't be able to represent the state of Colorado? I mean, I, I would think this is just a, this is a crazy trajectory and I don't think Howard Stern is alone in it, Buck. The people who would have gone to Woodstock so wait, wait, can, in the can 1960s. Explain me, why yeah. is Howard Stern upset about this, given that you think that he's kind of a Republican? Like, why is he like this? No, I, I think he, I think he now, he has said in the past that he was a Republican. I think that he has so gone left. And so I, I almost think that he's afraid of some of the jokes that he's made in the past. And he's like falling down on his hands and knees, beggaring to not get canceled. Do you, do you now. think? Do you think COVID might have switched the circuitry in his brain? Because I think that's happened to other people. I think they've gone full leftist because COVID broke them. I think that that has certainly accelerated. I think Trump started to break him. I think he is the, he is a representation of someone in creative space who, prior to Trump, had somewhat reasonable, insane perspectives. And the thing is here, Buck, that I think is so important, and you kind of hit on it. We talked about it yesterday. There is a principle. If you are out there listening to us right now and your principle is I don't want for uh, uh, people who engage in acts of immorality, right, whether it's Bill Clinton, whether it's in Lauren Boebert on a much smaller scale, right, if your perspective is personal behavior matters deeply to you and you would not want to vote. There's some people out there, Buck, who don't want to vote for somebody who's gotten divorced, right? Like this has been an issue uh, before, like if personal morality is of extreme importance to you, I understand that, but I think you have to apply it consistently. And if it isn't, then I think you look at it on a, a case by case basis and say, well, okay, is this acceptable or not? And this is what I meant about, especially allegations that involve anything that is in the, in the realm of, you know, uh, sex, sexuality, these sorts of things. Yeah. You know, Joe Biden was accused by a Senate staffer of sexual assault. Full yes. on the record, by name, knew him, very was around detailed him, for and, years. Been public. And it is never brought up by the same people who will say that the you know the E. Jean Carroll allegations are obviously you know they'll say it's yes. obviously true and the whole thing. They never bring it up yes. because morality to them is a joke. It's just the pretense of morality that can be used as a weapon. Yes. And I think we see that against a, a lot of people these days. And it is the leftist authoritarians who are the most vicious, who will, who will cast out presumption of innocence. You know, the Kavanaugh effect, I've called it, comes to mind as well. Um, this is something that people need to really think long and hard about because this becomes a situation where, I mean, 
you know, you're going to serve in public, you're going to serve in public life, you're a member of Congress. If people are going to throw the book at you for, for what really? Vaping and, you know, uh, heavy petting or whatever they call it. I, you know, I don't know what, I, I'm not sure what the, technical <laughs> what the phrase is, but yeah. yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it is, uh, a, a non-entity. And yet, because she's a Republican, it is a monster story. And, and by the way, I would just encourage everybody out there listening, figure out what your own personal line is and try to apply an even standard regardless of the politician. Wasn't there a staff, a, a, a Democrat female member of Congress who was having like a threesome with the staffers and, and then she said that it was like persecution because she's a woman. You know what I'm talking about? Wasn't that? Yeah, I think she was a California congresswoman. She lost her seat, right? She did. There were sex tapes or nude photos or whatever that came out of her. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I look at that and, and, you know, I'm saying Democrats defended that though. They said that it was sexist that she was being. The the perfect example is this Virginia Republican who was taking money to engage in sex acts on camera. And then when the story came out that she had done that, she said she was a victim of revenge porn. It's like, no, if you are a porn star, it isn't a crime for people to decide to factor in that you are a porn star and whether they want to vote for you or not. Like, if you are, and I don't know what the definition of star is, but if you are in a porno, uh, if you're having sex for money on camera, to me, you are a porn star, right? Like that, you have been chosen to engage in pornography. That is very much... In the, uh, in the public zeitgeist, I think that's very reasonable for, uh, any voter in Virginia to consider. Now maybe, maybe that makes you more likely to vote for him. I think that would be crazy, but you have that right. But the idea that it, she can be a victim and, and, and that you should still vote for her in Virginia, and meanwhile Warren Boebert should be kicked out of, uh, Congress, there's no way to make those two arguments and, and have a coherent, functional brain. What do you think, folks? The Bobert situation, 800-282-2882, lines are open. You know, guys rely on testosterone for energy and stamina. Our bodies produce this hormone naturally, but as we age, it starts to diminish, leaving us feeling tired and sluggish. The best way to describe it is feeling like you just can't get out of first gear. Well, I've got a set of jumper cables for you, so to speak. Chalk's Male Vitality Stack, the leading ingredient in this all-natural set of supplements, has been proven in studies to replenish diminished amounts of testosterone. After three months of taking the male vitality stack, most men experience a T-level increase, testosterone level increase, of up to 20%. It's pretty remarkable. So rev your engines with chalk supplements and get out of first gear. You can find them online at chalk.com. That's spelled C-H-O-Q. There's also a female vitality stack that helps with hormone health for the ladies. That's spelled C-H-O-Q.com. That's the website. Use my name, Buck, to get 35% off your chalk subscription for life. You can cancel any time, but you're not going to want to when you experience these benefits. Chalk.com, C-H-O-Q. Use my name, Buck, for 35% off. They're here to shed light on the truth every day. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear 
and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.